I like when like people eat stuff and they kind of like just get that stupid kind of little smile on their face and like a bit of a head nod whether it be like pastries or sandwiches at Saga like I just like seeing people enjoy stuff whether I'm like cooking for other people or my family at home. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. We've talked a lot about great pastry, about vegan pastry and the art of desserts on Deep in the Weeds, but not a lot about cake. It's kind of relegated for the most part to a secondary level in the world of pastry, but should it be? What does it take to make a great cake? Andy Bowden is the owner of Andy Bowdy Pastry and co-owner of Saga in Enmore. Andy, how are you? Hey, mate. How are you doing? Good. It's good to get you on the show. You've made a huge name for yourself uh, with cakes, although you do other, other things. Um, what was that time like when there was that sort of explosion and interest in what you were doing? Uh, it was really crazy, um, I guess, uh, when the cakes kind of took off it was around the same time that hearts yard was going bonkers as well so i mean hearts yard was full every night uh i was doing lots of desserts for just a one-man pastry team on top of that i kind of i i kind of just accidentally created this cake kind of style or i don't know if i created it but like i i just kind of started making these cakes and all of a sudden people coming into the restaurant wanting these cakes and at the time I guess I had no uh, set formula for what I was doing for cakes people would just come and be like can you make a cake and then I'd spend you know three hours making a cake four hours making a cake and Greg would be like hey dude you got prep to do for the restaurant as well <laughs> so I'd be I'd be there after hours just slogging away because I was uh, so fascinated with making these cakes and going out and presenting them to customers in the restaurant Oh, take take us back to that period. Do you have any stories of sort of the successes and failures of 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 that sort of moment when you sort of really exploded with cakes? Uh, look, I, th- I think for the most part, like there weren't too many failures, which is always good when you're making cakes. I mean, in my life, I've had a few failures with cakes, uh, like forgetting to put gelatin in mousses and kind of un- un- unwrapping them to decorate them when the customer's in the restaurant and then, you know, having just a puddle of mousse pour out of acetate, um, it's never good. And you kind of have that moment of realisation that you've massively fucked up and you need to, like, turn around and say to your head chef, like, uh, chef, uh, I've got a problem. It's especially usually seeing, like, in restaurants, like, that I've worked in, like, the majority of the cakes that I've, I've made have usually just been for VIPs because like as a pastry chef in a restaurant, like you've got other things to do besides standing around making cakes all day. Um, so it's usually like we've got a VIP coming in. It's their birthday. Uh, can you make them a cake? And you're like, sure, no worries. And when stuff like that goes wrong, uh, it's still the greatest feeling in the world because there's not a lot you can do um, apart from just stand there and, look like an idiot um, and just re- resign yourself to the fact that chef's probably not going to talk to you for the next week. Um, but yeah, Hearts Yard, Hearts Yard days was crazy. It just kind of started with one VIP. I mean, well, one regular customer coming in and asking for a birthday cake and I did that and I think 
I don't know how it happened from there. Like I think I posted it on Instagram back then. I, I'd, I'd only just got Instagram and I'd only actually got it because Madison, my partner had told me that it'd be a good thing to do. I was kind of like, well, I need that for like, I've already got Facebook. Like what's the difference? Um, and I did that and it just kind of went from there, like one cake, two cakes. And then next thing you know, you've got people kind of calling up requesting cakes and uh you know there was like greg was kind of doing events for like kind of a couple of celebrity events and then like uh i'd kind of like get asked to make a cake for like the event and it just kind of steamrolled from there you mentioned that Hearts Yard was, was really booming at the same time as well. You were given a real license to sort of go for it in regards to pastry at Hearts Yard. Tell, tell us about um, what it was like as a pastry chef there and um, the foundation that you built to, to go on and do what you've done. Yeah, I mean, Heart, I, I guess I probably wouldn't have got anywhere in life without Hearts Yard. Um, I owe a lot to that, of that to Greg and Nomi. Uh, I met Greg uh working at wildfire together and we just kind of really hit it off. We'd always have like kind of late night chats in the office about desserts and stuff like that. And Greg left and uh, called me one day out of the blue and was just like, Hey dude, I'm going to start a restaurant. I want you to come along. And at that time, I guess when I was working at wildfire, I was kind of always under anytime you wanted to do something, anytime you wanted to put a dessert on, you'd always have to like, do plate ups, take it to the chefs, then you'd have to take it to the owners and then they'd be like, yes, no, yes, no, whatever. Whereas I said to Greg, I was just kind of like, can I just do what I want to do? And he was like, dude, I completely trust you too. I know what you do. Uh, and he was like, I mean, in saying that, like, it didn't mean like he always bought me the equipment I wanted, <laughs> but like we did the, obviously we had the uh, Hearts Yard Sunday, um, which as you know, like, was a, had a bit of a cult following and I'd be selling, you know, uh, 40, 50 of them a day. Uh, like we, we'd have people just come in after the restaurant was done. There's dumb nights just be a whole turn of people just coming in for desserts. Um, so back to the fact that Greg wouldn't always buy me the equipment that I wanted. I was using cuisine art, uh, ice cream machines that whole time, <clears throat> just a little benchtop ones I was like I was like dude come on man like like I just constantly have this thing just pounding away churning ice cream like all day every day um because it, it certainly a benchtop one like a at home one I guess and it just takes a lot longer and I mean like in at in summertime it was struggle so hard that I had to get an extension lead and put it in the uh cool room to keep <laughs> to keep uh, yeah, so it was quite wild. But yeah, I mean, like I came to Greg with the idea of the soft serves and he was like, cool, go for it. Um, that'd be great. Like we had the, we had the pie of the week that just kind of started out of nothing. It was like, I think that started out of like trying to get rid of like things in the cool room that, you know, I need to get rid of some, some kind of fruit. So I made a pie and then like it turned into like, I'll do it again next week. And then, turn into pie of the week. So we had soft serve of the week, pie of the week. On top of that, on top of that, the, uh, all the desserts and then the cakes came along. So, and on top of that, 
Greg had a had a knack of like basically every time he came up with a dish and needed an, something else to go on it, it turned out to be like a bread or a or a lavoche or something like that. So I was quite, quite I was quite a busy boy for a while. <laughs> I want to explore sort of what you've done since then. And you obviously have your own establishment now, Saga as well in, in Enmore, but um, take me back to when you were young, what, what sort of role did food play for you in your family? Uh, I think food, food was quite important. Like, uh, I mean, I like to eat. I, I think that's where I kind of, I often found myself in kitchens and I don't know whether that's because I had an interest in cooking, whether it's more because I like, to eat uh like uh so my mom had a shop up in Lura. uh it was a kid's clothing store and i used to go up there in the school holidays but i used to hang out at the deli in Lura, and i just used to sit on the bench uh brad the guy who owned the deli would be making chocolate mud cakes cheesecakes and stuff and i'd just be sitting there kind of assist i guess assisting cleaning the bowl when he was done with it um so, I mean, I always like food and memories of going to Nan's house. Uh, with an ex- my, my Nan used to make a chocolate mousse and there was always this, you drive down to Goulburn and the whole way down, all I would be thinking about was, I hope Nan's made chocolate mousse because I'm going to be real devo if she hasn't. Uh, and I guess like you get to the back steps and you run up the back steps straight past Nan, straight to the fridge, open the fridge up and you'd be like... Sweet, sir. We're all good. Um, but yeah, I mean, family gatherings, all that kind of food was very important. I guess the style of food is very different to like what I'm used to today. But like it was, I don't know, grow, growing up, you kind of like, you have all these things that you love growing up. And then I feel like when you become a chef, you like learn how to make all these things properly. And you kind of like, oh man, I was getting ripped off all this time. Like, Mum, like for mashed potato, for example, like I used to love mashed potato growing up, but like then you have mashed potato in a restaurant and then you realize that the lumpy stuff that your mum used to serve you growing up just doesn't cut it anymore. It's great, it's great to go back to for like nostalgia, but like now like like for me to make mash, uh, like I just know how much, much effort's involved to get it to this standard that I kind of like am used to now so like i barely make it um yeah did you always have thoughts of a career as a chef or did you head in a different direction uh i i like i briefly considered it uh like i never thought about leaving school to do it early uh i, I kind of uh like had a private school education so i guess the expectation was that you'd kind of finish that and then go to university uh uh my mom uh like my mom had a had my little brother when i was uh maybe about 16 uh and at that point in my or in that point around that point uh she was kind of like she was working she didn't want to come home and cook every night so she'd like cook his food because he was obviously younger so I was me and my sister were kind of like pushed into learning how to cook for ourselves so I did kind of not that she was a bad mother and she wasn't trying to cook for us I'm not saying that but like she was just kind of like you know I'm tired you guys can fix yourself something for dinner which was fine and I guess from that like 
I started teaching myself like kind of basics on how to cook stuff and I kind of enjoyed that. Um, but then I had a mate who left school to become a chef and I heard how horrible the pay was and how long he was working and I was just kind of like, oh, I'm not doing that. Uh, so I went to, went, went to university twice. Uh, I, went and, I went and did visual arts uh, at Sydney College of the Arts and that lasted a whole of a semester. Uh, basically just because I'd left school and all I wanted to do was kind of party. Um, so I wasn't very applied at that. Uh, had like a brief stint, uh, working in retail and then kind of the parents were like, you need to do something, you need to go back to uni. So I signed up for a double degree in engineering, uh, by which point my brain had all but failed me because of all the partying I'd been doing. So I kind of went back to university and the 18 hours of maths a week was just no good. Like, And I was just like, there's no way I'm going and getting myself a tutor at you know the age of 21. I'm not doing this. So I uh, went back to working in retail, saved up a bunch of money and then... I went on, you know, one of those I'm going to go overseas and discover myself trips and just kind of fell my way into the kitchen. There was, there was, there was like a, a a job online. This was like just as Facebook was starting. So like I think it was like it wasn't Craigslist or something else, maybe Gumtree or something like that. There was like an ad that just said uh, want to be chefs and I was like, yeah, I want to be a chef. So, so I just went for it. It was a, it was a, it was a horrible, it was, it's actually really horrible. I've uh, never felt like so out of place in a, like I thought, yeah, I can, I can blag this. Uh, and then the very first, I remember the very first job I had in the kitchen, uh, I got asked to pick lettuce and I had no idea what that meant. Like, I had no experience in the kitchen and they've thrown down three boxes of lettuce and said, pick this lettuce. And I was just like, what the the fuck does pick lettuce mean? Uh, I was like, back home in Australia, this, this comes in a bag, like a cold. (laughs) What's what's going on? And I've asked, I asked a few people around the kitchen and they, they'd all told me to fuck off. And I was just kind of like, Oh God, this can be rough. Uh, and luckily, luckily for me, a chef at one of the other restaurants that uh, the, the guy owned where I was working had just walked out and he just kind of looked at me and said, you, uh, go get change pack. I'll be stuck in the other restaurant now. I was like, oh, thank God. Good out of pizza and lettuce. When, when did you find your feet in the kitchen? Do you have any stories of sort of when you realized, yeah, you can make a career of this? Uh I mean, I felt pretty confident, like, I mean, there was like the first, you know, the first month was really shaky, but uh, I feel like I put in a lot of time, like I, I didn't do an apprentice apprenticeship, so like I kind of like didn't have that to fall back on, like where I could go to school and get taught how to do stuff, and I'd kind of lied my way into the kitchen, so I feel, felt like there was an expectation that everyone thought that I knew what I was doing, um, but I, put, I, I feel like I put in a lot of time. Early on, I'd stay back. I'd ask a lot of questions. Like I used to go in early with the pastry chef so I could learn how to do 
do that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, I think I always stood out like a sore thumb early on. But, like, I was, you know, showing interest and putting in the work so I could learn how to do stuff so I wasn't such a burden on the team. Um, and, I mean, I did that for a while. And then I, I feel like I came back to Australia and uh, went for a few trials, uh, which weren't didn't, <laughs> didn't really work out. Mom, I got back and my mum was heaps proud of me that I'd gone and found a career in cooking and she went and bought me some... Uh, brand new knives and as you know like when you get a brand new knife first thing you want to do is cut the end of your finger off so I mean I went I went for a trial over at a restaurant in Balmain and they asked me to they gave me a bag of onions and asked me to chop up the bag of onions and within like you know five minutes I was hand in the air asking for a band-aid um so that didn't work out and then I went over for a trial at Pink Salt uh in Double Bay uh where Michael Rantissi, uh, Keppel Street, Michael Rantissi was the head chef at the time. And uh, went for a trial there. The first thing he got, the first he still reminds me of this to this day. Uh, the first thing he asked me to do was to make a brulee. Like, you know, you when people go for a trial, you kind of like give them the basics to see if they have like a basic understanding of what's going on in the kitchen. Uh, and... I was like, brulee, I can do that. Like, I know how to make a brulee. And obviously, in between flying back from London, I'd forgotten <clears throat> uh, some key, you know, some key steps to making a brulee, and I'd cracked all the egg yolks and then took the pot over to the stove and put the egg yolks in the pot and proceeded to start cooking them. And he was just like, what are you doing? Like, are you making scrambled eggs? And I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know, chef. But anyway, he gave me a job, which I don't know. I still don't know why he gave me a job. The other girl that came in for a trial must have been absolutely rubbish. So he get, he get, he ended up giving me the job. Um, and I mean, he was really good for my career. Uh, like early on, he, I had kind of like a mentor, like one of his friends, an Israeli pastry chef who was working over at uh, Bathers Pavilion at the time. He used to come over like once or twice a week and kind of show me things and. Anytime I wanted to learn things, like Mike would send me to like talk to suppliers about chocolate or cheese or things like that. So, um, yeah, it, I mean, I've I've had like a lot of really good mentors or people I've worked for through the years that have just kind of like helped me learn, which is really good. These days, you have um, your own cafe called Saga. Tell us about how that came about. Uh, so saga, saga came about, uh, probably through necessity. It had to happen eventually, I guess I was, <clears throat> I was at Hearts Yard and I feel, I feel like, uh, I guess the cakes were taking off, uh, my kind of, I wouldn't call it celebrity, but like, I, I guess like my, me being known, uh, was kind of taking off and it got, I think it got to the point where like me and Greg are great friends, but like, I feel like it kind of started driving wedge between us because it was his restaurant, but people are kind of being like, uh, kind of mistaking it for me as opposed to him. Um, the cakes were getting too much, <clears throat> the cakes were getting too much. I was having to make too many cakes, uh, 
yeah, I, I feel like it just got to the point where like just through necessity, I had to leave. Uh, and I kind of had no idea what to do with myself because I had this kind of monster that I created and I didn't think I was kind of ready to like kind of, I don't know whether I didn't want to do it by myself or um, I, whether I was scared to go out by myself because I didn't have someone there to fall back on. Um, but I just kind of, <clears throat> I kind of went and spoke to a few, like I went and spoke to Michael, you know, I spoke to a few other people, had a few interviews to go work for some other people. Uh, and then I went over to have a chat to uh, Donato over at Gelato Messina and he he basically just offered me, they, they just had this brand new uh, factory and he just said, do you reckon you can make it work if you just make cakes out of here? Like you can come in after hours, you can use the space, order everything, order everything through us. Uh, and I was kind of like, because uh, he, he, he basically was just like, you don't want to go work for somebody else. This is your time. Go do, do your thing. Um, so, you know, I had, I had a couple of offers on the table, which I turned down. Uh, and... Yeah, I just I suppose I think I spent like two years, year and a half, two years just working out of the Messina factory, making the cakes. People would come and pick them up from there, doing events. Um, yeah, it was it was crazy. And then from there, I think once again, out of necessity, out of like spending too much time with people, <laughs> eventually I had to move on. <laughs> uh, I, I think the hey, do you want to come here and make cakes for like until you work out what you want to do, kind of got to the point where it's like, dude, it's time, time to leave home, you know? Um, and then, yeah, I managed, I'd actually managed to save some money for once in my life uh, back then, uh, basically. Cause I mean, when you own your own business, it's really great. You have all this money coming in and you're just like, Oh my God. But then you don't realize that you haven't paid tax yet. So, you know, when when you have a job like your tax comes out every week, but when you you're a sole trader, you pay your tax. You pay your, you pay your tax at the end of the year. So I basically I was just paying myself a minimum salary <clears throat> and putting all the money aside. I was just like I'm not touching that until I get a bill from the tax department. And anyway, after after two years, I had enough money that I thought, you know, I can go set something up. Uh, Little did I know how much it actually cost to set up <laughs> a, a restaurant or like, you know, so Saga came about. It's, I mean, it's not the most high tech kind of, uh, polished, uh, pastry shop in the world. Um, but that's okay. Cause that's not really the way that I do things. And I've kind of always, you know, hearts yard was always kind of a do it yourself thing. And, you know, yeah, I, I, I love it. Uh, but so, yeah, I think it's like nearly six years now that we've been in Enmore. So we found the space and we looked at a few spaces and like we looked at like kind of big empty hollow spaces and then you'd get quotes for how much everything was going to cost. And you're just like, I just don't understand how all that costs that much money. It's absurd. Um, and then we found, yeah, we found that space. It was a meatball shop. Uh, called Ballers. Uh, 
and yeah, we found it on Gumtree. We bought the space off the guy and kind of fitted out at a on our small budget and opened up from there. And we've been there but nearly six years now. Tell us a bit about the the offering that you created there. It was were there challenges? It's such a busy street with so many different offerings of, on it. Yeah, I think at the time when we first opened up, I mean, the only other pastry shop really in in the area was kind of Blackstar. Um, and I think it kind of felt like, uh, I don't know, this might sound stupid, but it kind of felt like a bit of a homecoming because, like, obviously me and Madison met at Hearts Yard and we'd always lived in the area and worked in the area. So, like, setting up the shop, you know, 200 meters from where it all kind of started I felt kind of was kind of nice um you get back then back then when we opened it was it was crazy like I think I guess that was kind of like the height of my kind of popularity so like you know if that's what you want to call it like I feel like that's kind of like yeah when I was getting a bit of attention in the media and all that kind of stuff so when I opened it up, it was kind of crazy. Like for the first, you know, first six months, it was just relentless and it was a massive challenge. Like going from like, I guess, working solo to having a big team uh, because we were going through so much stuff and I stupidly decided to take myself off the pastry section uh, and do the savory section instead. I don't know why I did that because cooking eggs and breakfast is probably one of the most unenjoyable shifts as a, as a chef you could possibly ask for. Um, so if anyone out there is listening and they're wondering why breakfast chefs are always look so miserable. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I guess I like to learn a lot of things back then. Like I just, there were, there were certain points where I was just like, I'd finish a really busy breakfast lunch service and, I kind of like look over at the pastry team and I, I felt like I had a lot of pastry chefs. Like I wasn't used to having this many pastry chefs and I felt like I had a lot of them and they were just kind of always in the shit. And I was just like, what is going on? Like, why am I still here at like, you know, eight o'clock at night doing prep for tomorrow? Uh, and yeah, in the end, like, I mean, I, I lost, I lost a couple of chefs really early on because of like, I guess how intense it was and how busy it was. And, you know, you kind of like, well, it's, we're opening like it's going to be busy for a while but like people um anyway uh so i lost a lot of i I lost a few chefs early on and then eventually i just decided that you know i'm gonna i'm gonna get a savory chef and i'm gonna go back there and see what the hell's going on because i just don't understand what's going on so i did that and i guess once i stepped back there i kind of saw what was going on uh and worked it all out and uh, we actually didn't need half the chefs that I had. So, uh, yeah, you, I, you just kind of like learn things throughout, like, I, I guess at the start as well, I always had this perception that, uh, pastry shops made everything every day. Everything was fresh in the cabinet. And like at the end of the day, you threw all your stuff in the bin that you didn't sell. And then like, I spoke to, I spoke to a few other, uh, pastry chefs who had their own pastry shops and they're like, no, dude, <laughs> you don't, you know, throw everything out at the end of the day. 
like you got to make product that kind of lasts like you like there's certain things that like you do do daily but like then there's a certain range of stuff that you know can sit in the cabinet for two days and i was like oh you're right <laughs> makes sense now <laughs> six years is extraordinary um has it changed a lot in that time uh yeah like i mean I always had this dream that, like, by the time I was 40, I'd be retired. <laughs> stupid, stupid dream didn't work out. Uh, I mean, I still, I've still got time, but I don't see it, <laughs> don't see it happening. Um, I mean, we obviously had the whole COVID thing, uh, which is a whole another kettle of fish. And I guess uh, we did try and expand and open another shop. Uh, and just so happens that was, you know, six months before COVID. So uh, that didn't ever eventuate into, like, we lost that shop pretty early on, um, which was a, a kind of a humbling experience, I guess. Like, I mean, I wouldn't say if I don't get phased by too much stuff and, like, I wouldn't say, like, I've had too many failures in my career up until now. I mean, apart from like not putting like mousse in cakes and stuff, but like, I guess when like you have a business and it's the first time that you realize it's something's not working and you have to like be okay with, I guess that sense of failure, um, which is kind of hard. I found it hard, but like at the same time it had to happen because otherwise I would have lost Saga and Emma at the same time. Um, if I, if I'd been stubborn and just kind of, cause I mean, it was, it was down in Darling Square. It was when the pandemic hit and there was just no one around. So, uh, and I mean, they wanted everyone to push on down there, but like at the end of the day, you, you can either keep pushing on and lose both your businesses or you can, uh, you know, cut one and move on from there and just accept it. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, I've definitely, I've definitely learned a lot of stuff along the way. Like, you know, there's, there's certain tips, like how, how to run the place on a small team. Like I had to do during COVID and all that kind of stuff. So you just learn how to adapt to things like have products that use, you know, same base things and yeah, things like that. Whereas, like, I guess, I guess back in the day, you know, back back when I was a restaurant chef, you know, five five thousand things on a plate, no problems. <laughs> but now you can't. Or, or, or do doing things. I guess the other thing is like creating dishes for yourself is is a big thing that I had to learn as well. Like, I guess as a rest, like working in restaurants, you can kind of push people towards kind of weird combinations or somewhat weird combinations. But when you're in a pastry shop and you have a different clientele and people just don't buy that kind of stuff. So like I'd be doing something that I thought was, which was delicious and I thought it sounded really cool, but people would just come in and scrunch up their faces and you'd be standing there watching people scrunch their faces up at the cabinet and you're just like, Oh man, that really hurts. <laughs> Let's talk about cakes. Um, what makes a great cake? Uh, I guess, uh, what makes a great cake? Well, it's got to taste good. I, I feel like it's got to taste good. There's there's the dryness factor. You never want a dry cake. Uh, you never want to feel like you need to 
drink a glass of milk to, or drink a glass of water to get it down. <clears throat> I, th- I think it's just the flavor combinations of making it in kind of interesting, decadent, uh, you know, different textures. I, I kind of like like to approach the cake in kind of the same way I would like a plated dessert. Like, you know, you need different elements to kind of make a plated dessert interesting. Like you can't just have like a, a panic, like you can't have like a panna cotta with like some cream and stuff like, cause everything just tastes the same. Like you need to have like, you know, some acid or just, just, just depending on what kind of flavor you're going for. But like, you need to have like different textures and mouthfeels and kind of contrasting flavors to make it all interesting. And I guess how you put it together and how it eats is also really important as well. Is, is, is there a, a cake that um, you've made over your career or more recently that you can sort of tell us about that sort of epitomizes um, sort of what you do? That's a good question. <laughs> um, um, I mean, I guess all the cakes kind of epitomize what I do. So they all kind of uh, bank on some kind of nostalgia, some kind of nostalgia for me, like things that I've grown up with. Um, whether they be flavors or things like, like for me, like my nan, <clears throat> things that my nan used to make used to be kind of like nostalgic for me. It's like, uh, I guess I, they're always my point of reference for desserts. Uh, I guess I, I, I didn't, I did make my own birthday cake once. And so that was kind of like all the things that I love in a dessert. I'm like, I love like lemon meringue pies. I love cheesecakes. I love salted caramel. Uh, so I guess they kind of reflected my t- what I'm about, I guess. Can, can you tell us about this birthday cake that you made for yourself? You've made so many for other people, but I'd, I'd love to know what your cake was. Uh, well, so uh, this was back in Hartsyard days that I came up with the Andy cake uh, and I was working and it was my birthday. So I decided that uh, – <laughs> I decided <laughs> – just for shits and giggles that instead of pie of the week, I was going to make my own birthday cake and serve it to people with a candle on it and happy birthday written on the plate. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was like a cheesecake mousse. There was like a cocoa nib cake and a salted bourbon caramel, uh, uh, whole lemon curd, peanuts, uh, just kind of all things that I kind of like to eat. Uh, obviously it had meringue on it because that's what all my cakes have on them. Uh, and, and the milk rum. It was good. No one ever orders it really. So <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> was it? it? It's it's on the, it's on the menu. It's on the menu. You can order, you can order it if you were one for your birthday, but uh, <clears throat> no one tends to order it. So I won't take offense for that. <laughs> I, I kind of find it more annoying when people do order it because no one ever orders it. So it means I have to do a whole heap of prep that I usually don't have to do. So You've had a fascinating career and the impact that you've had is quite extraordinary. But what do you love about what you do? Uh, I, I think I just, I, like, I just love making food for people and I, I, I love giving people food and seeing the reaction on their face and it's, it's kind of like a, <clears throat> I like the uh, somebody feed Phil moment when like people eat stuff and they kind of like just get that stupid kind of little smile on their face and like a bit of a head nod. 
whether it be like pastries or sandwiches at Saga, like I just like seeing people enjoy stuff, whether I'm like cooking for other people or <clears throat> my family at home. I often get a kick out of like uh, Madison, my partner, like we'll go to Harris Farm after work and uh, we'll have no idea what we're having for dinner. And then like I'll come up with something and she kind of like always scrunches her face up. She actually does this. She actually does this most times. I suggest something like whether it be at the shop or at home for um, for dinner and I'll go home and I'll make it or I'll go to work and I'll make this cake that I've been talking about in the car and when I give it to her and she turns around and looks at me and she's just like, yeah, whatever. Like, She just gives me that, like, you knew this was going to taste good. I hate you kind of like... Or I'll be sitting there on the couch, like, as I've given her her dinner and she's had her first mouthful and I can't like, look to the left and she can just, she can see that I'm, like, looking because <laughs> she knows I'm, I'm looking for that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I just, I just really love people's reactions when, when you cook and, like, the idea of, like, sitting down and everyone enjoying themselves. And I guess, like, also love, like, kind of the getting people to try things that they wouldn't have tried and the realization that like they actually enjoy stuff that they didn't think they would like. Um, it's a, like another, like being able to, like you go overseas <clears throat> and you eat all these different foods and you post them on your Instagram and everyone's just like, that's gross. That's gross. That's gross. And then like, you know, I go on, a, I go overseas with my dad and then, He's like, I'm not eating that, not eating that. But then you eventually convince him to eat it. And he's like, oh, that's actually really nice. And like, it's kind of nice being able to like have that experience of like being able to show people, like introduce all these things to people. Like I kind of like back, back in the day, like, you know, back in my mashed potato and chicken schnitzel days when I was like, you know, growing up at school to like where I've come now like my appreciation of different foods and willingness to try stuff and realizing that, you know, all these things that I used to see growing up that I used probably would, would have just scrunched my nose up at it. Now I appreciate them and what they are. And it's really nice to be able to kind of show other people that, I guess. Well, Andy, it's an absolute honor to have you on deep in the weeds today to hear your story. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. I'll do it. Cheers, mate. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.